Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Ho, ho, ho. Flight 64 to St. Petersburg. Hi, Alex. Appropriately cold climate for this episode. It's the closest one I could figure out we've been recently to as to where Santa Claus supposedly live, which is Rovaniemi in the north of Finland. So St. Petersburg is close enough. Close enough. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the name of the airport? The actual name? Pulkovo. Well, you'll tell us all about it because I have no idea about that airport. It's an interesting one. I, I have quite a few uh, observations observations, if you will. I think that's the politest way of saying it. <laughs> uh, so let's start. Uh, it's time to open some Christmas gifts. Not yet. We're recording today, Monday, uh, 18th of yeah, December. Yeah, one week to go. We're closing in. I hope you have a lot of uh, little packages under your tree, mm. Alex. We wanted to do a few shout outs because we received tons and tons of messages. Really, thank you, all of you folks, because it's hard to actually keep track. So as usual, I will ask for your forgiveness if I don't mention you, if I forget one of your direct message, Facebook message, emails, mention on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, because there's literally way too many for me to keep track. Which is a nice <laughs> problem to have. Yes. So uh, let's start with two reviews on uh, iTunes. Two five stars for us, so Alex. Oh, I have nice. Merry Christmas. Uh, first uh, by Cap Ed, a guest from the UK. I must for all travelers. Paul and Alex are excellent presenters, knowledgeable with great chemistry together. As someone who flies almost as much as Paul, it's nice to hear from someone else who appreciates the importance of the little things that make travel both a joy and a pain. BA's priority boarding that includes everyone, for example. Oh, well, I have a story about that a little later. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another uh, from React, the E is a three, a 1990 must-listen podcast. Paul and Alex do a fantastic job in making the podcast interesting and fun. I listen to it every day on my drive to work every day. I don't know how that works. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, we had also mentions uh, <laughs> so, to see. Uh, some people are really excited and I'm really happy about that. Brookie Boy, whom we mentioned in a recent episode, <laughs> wrote on Twitter, super geeky aviation moment this morning when I caught up with a layover podcast and realized my tweet to them was featured on the show. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Oh, that's <laughs> so, nice. <laughs> that's really nice. I had a conversation with uh, Greg McCormick at... Glenn Africa Craig. Think- Craig's a top guy and a, an amazing photographer as well. Was he not the one you also mentioned in the latest Mastication Nation episode yes. that I listened to? Yes. Oh, there yes. you go. Yes. <laughs> so- Craig is a good dude. We have a lot of crossover people listening to both because listening to your latest show, there was at least three names. I'm like, hmm, I've seen those names in our yeah. own timeline. <laughs> yeah, people clearly love airplanes and food. We should do a crossover right. episode. Yeah. You can host <laughs> Mastication Nation with my brother. <laughs> Exactly. Will, you're up soon. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Uh, so he was, he was mentioning a few things. He had never seen before one of these boarding passes where they have two flights are mentioned on a single boarding pass. Oh, and yeah. uh, I had that with SAS when I went to the US. And I also had that uh, with Air France several times when I was, again, commuting back and forth to Tokyo uh, when I used to live there or 
when I was going pretty often to Brazil, for instance, they also have one single boarding pass with two uh, destinations and two, of course, two flights. It makes sense, doesn't it? It does make sense. I hate it on a personal purpose because I like to scan every single of my boarding pass uh, and have like I have a special you know name for each of one and when I have two flights on, on one boarding pass I don't know how to name it anyway uh <laughs> guys have you ever seen that being done with any other airline Greg is asking I've only seen done with Air France and SAS if you've ever seen that Alex have you ever I, remember I don't think so I, my brain keeps telling me that I've seen it on Cathay but I can't think of an instance where I have seen it so I'm not sure I have Anton at Derluce on Twitter, who has been a longtime listener, because I remember he's been writing to us for almost since the beginning, uh, and he landed for the first time at Lucy uh, mm-hmm. in London, I think with actually the CS series, actually, the Bombardier. And he mentioned something about Lucy, which is pretty, pretty, pretty right. I don't know if you guys have ever flown there. It's a pretty small airport, mm. very practical if you live in London. If you had to build anything big and long-term at the end of the 80s, you screwed from the get-go. The speed of change in the 90s and the 2000s just wiped your effort away into the void of obsolete. Mm. I, I, I'm not sure Lucy is obsolete, but I understand what he's trying to say. I mean, it's once you're set and if you don't have room to grow and you build something in the 80s and Lucy has this issue, you're like stuck yeah, a little bit. That, and, that I do agree. I mean, I, that's my favorite airport in the UK by a country mile. I love that airport. And I've said that a million times on this show. But, uh, I, you know, they did kind of paint themselves into a corner a little bit geographically. And that's why they've struggled a little bit to to expand. But I love that airport and I will continue to use it whenever I have the opportunity. Yep, me too. I haven't flown it actually in a while. I'm no, neither still, have I. I'll always go to Gatwick and Heathrow for some reason. Maybe because we did more like long haul flights, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Lucy doesn't have, it has New York, and that's pretty much it, I think, if you want to fly long haul. Yeah. Um, Matt Freeman, uh, we had mentioned him. He had sent us that uh, lovely email, almost a love letter to uh, our podcast. And uh, he had replied, uh, very interesting. I'm not going to go through the old email because. Matt, we will have you as a guest because he actually does a job that I didn't realize he's doing. He has, as patients, he's a doctor, he has pilots and flight attendants. He has people who are afraid of flying as well. He mentioned to one of his patients, so not a pilot and not a flight attendant, but one of his uh, patients who was uh, afraid of flying, they were talking about, you know, what it entails. And he mentioned our podcast to the patient. And he's saying, maybe, maybe, maybe this patient will actually start listening to to, uh, layovers. Uh, Well, I, I hope, we're going to make you proud then, Matt, because I don't know if we're really the best podcast for someone who's afraid of flying, but we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> He's also sending us a picture of his uh, travel companion, Pancho, his uh, dog. Oh, cool. <laughs> and the picture is in the, is in, uh, in front of the window of MD80. So that's a pretty cool, actually. And it was uh, from Newark to Tel Aviv. Oh, oh wow. wow. With an MD80? <laughs> oh, wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, on Facebook, uh, a question for you, Alex, uh, from Tyler Mixer. He says that in episode 59, we talked about the Dreamliner, and you remember the shading of the, yeah. the windows, and you know, 
what happens when you want to actually take a look at the view in the middle of the flight. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's been flying uh, quite a few with the Dreamliners. He says a United American, Lot, or Canada, JAL. And he says the windows have always been locked at their darkest settings for most of the flight. And he's about to take a flight with KLM, again, a Dreamliner. Tyler, you've done actually way more yeah, Dreamliners than we have yeah, done ourselves. Yeah, certainly <laughs> in terms of the airlines. And he's asking you, Alex... How do I request my window to be unlocked? Well, I just went back to the galley and had a conversation with them and played dumb at the beginning. And then I said, (laughs) come on, I know that we, you know, one window isn't going to make a difference because they can unlock it on an individual level. I There's definitely a trend because when the Dreamliner first came out, like the first five flights I did on it, the windows were never locked. And it seems to have changed a lot. Yeah, again, I, I said on Emirates when they locked my window because I kept opening it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not a child. <laughs> I'm going to have it open. It's, yeah. I'd be, I'd be very interested, Tyler, to hear your experience of this on your on your KLM flight. And the other person we should have actually on the, on the show is Kobus. He's been uh, flying mm. all around Asia in the past few days. Hi, Kobus. You're still somewhere in Taipei, I think. I've never been to Taipei. Have you been? Alex? No, I haven't. It's on the list for attache, but uh, I've never been. Oh, well, I've been to the airport. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> actually, I was about to go earlier this year as a stopover, trying ever air, stopping there and staying like almost 18 hours. So it wouldn't have really, truly have counted as having been to Taipei, but uh, I will try to do it in 2018. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I said we should have him is, uh, so it was his first experience on a 350 and his first experience on a Dreamliner on both wow he did the 350 first and he was already baffled by the size of the windows and i told them you know the 350 says look at my windows and the dreamliner answers all my beer yeah exactly <laughs> exactly I, I mean i it's such a wonderful trend and i hope it continues i know that it's easier to do with composite airframes than it is for kind of mixed material airframes like on the 777 although i think the 777 x is going to be much more composite than any of the other. Correct. Uh, and yeah, so maybe they will be able to do bigger windows. Yes, maybe. I mean, I hope so. I hope they take the trend of the the, the, the Dreamliner because Me too. these windows are absolutely stunning. Uh, another message on, uh, that's the last one I'm going to mention today, on Facebook from John, and I'm sorry if I mis- uh, mispronounced your last name, Knowledge Washkan. Maybe I'm completely off. Uh, sorry, Johnny. Please send me an audio file on how do I pronounce your name. I'll, pro- <laughs> I'll do it in the next episode. He says that he was listening to uh, 063 and he agreed with everything I said about Haneda, especially about the observation desk that is absolutely amazing. Alex, see, I'm so pissed abs- off I missed that. <laughs> Greg, who does attache with me, is going back to Japan in February and. I'm A, very jealous, and B, I'm going to make sure that I tell him. Although he's not nearly as much of a plain dork as we are. Yeah, but if, you, if you're a little bit ahead of time in Haneda, instead of wandering around, I mean, the food is great as well. So that's kind of yeah. a judgment call to be to be made. But it's a good reason to spend, you know, a good 20 Sometime minutes. And outside, you can, yeah. And there's actually, you know, you can sit outside. There's like a you know, table. So you can even take some takeaway food and just sit there instead of sitting inside. That's so. an idea. I mean, February might be a little cold, but, you know, why not? Oh, you know? Why not? Rough it up, Greg. Rough yeah, it yeah. up. <laughs> Uh, since we're in Japan, we were both right uh, when we talked about a Star Wars plane. I've checked since then. There actually are four planes, oh. two domestic. And so, yes, there's a 
R2T2 Dreamliner. There's a BB-8 uh, 77W, so the 300ER. There's one C-3PO 777-200ER, and that's domestic, ah, okay. which is the one you mentioned. And the one I mentioned, which is also domestic, is indeed a 767-300ER. And that one has R2 on one side and BB-8 on the other. So there you go. Ah. <laughs> yeah, they have actually four. And we were kind of going back and forth. Actually, I, I left, you guys didn't see that, didn't hear that, sorry, uh, because I left quite a bit on the cutting floor because we were arguing, no, there's three planes. No, there's five. No, there's two. No, there's... <laughs> so we were both right. There actually are four planes. Uh, have you seen the latest Star Wars? I am I seeing it tomorrow. <laughs> I've seen it the other day. I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. We're going to talk about it in the next episode. It's nothing to do with aviation, but we need to talk about Star Wars. Come on. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's shout out because, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Blue Code, who's been also a very, very loyal and longtime listener to this show that wanted to make him a shout out. He was in Japan the same time we were in Japan. You and me, Alex. You were still traveling. He was in Tokyo. There was one day of overlap. I could have seen him and I wasn't able. So I'm sorry, Glucode. Since then, we've been also messaging. He's been telling me stuff that I cannot repeat because he actually has clients in the aviation industry. Ah. <laughs> so I'm learning stuff. <laughs> he was a victim uh, somehow of the snow problems at Ethro. Yes. Uh, you were also stuck. Yeah, it was a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, for me, it wasn't. I mean, it, it, but the whole situation was bad. We we get like an eighth of an inch, an inch of snow and the whole country shuts down. Although they had a lot of snow and there were places up in the highlands that, that had, had a foot in a day, which is quite unusual for this part of the world. But yeah, they it just absolutely floored Heathrow. Gatwick and all the other London airports were fine, but we are just not equipped for it. And there were four-hour waits for de-icing and uh, cancellations and cancellations. And I was supposed to fly to Milan the day after all this happened. And I thought, I, bet, I best just check on my flight and pulled up the BA app and it was canceled. No, no notification, no email, no call, no nothing. I just discovered it. So I was like, oh, balls. <laughs> uh, and I checked on, like, you pull up my flight online and it was still going, no, no information, no nothing. But the app said, go onto my booking and, you know, you'll be able to rebook on the next available flight or you can cancel and get a full refund. Except that whole system was down. <laughs> so it just, you'd click on the thing and the loading icon would spin in perpetuity. So, all right, I'll call the gold line. <laughs> this is because yeah, I was like giving you updates in real yeah, time. And I was, was I was sending you this. So there's there's an official gold line number, and there's one other number that is not on the website. But if you know it, you can call. And that number didn't work either. None of them worked. <laughs> well, what would happen was it wasn't like you were going to be stuck on hold. And this is the gold line. Like you said, you'd call it up, and they're like, basically, we're unable to take your call right now. Sorry about that. Click. That's infuriating. That's so like, bad. That's I'd rather like, wait three hours, please. Exactly. Like, I, you know, if they say, oh, it's going to take an hour, maybe it won't. And so I'm willing to just, you know, stick it on speakerphone and do something else and wait because it's an 0800 number. It's free. But no, they weren't even taking the calls. So there was no way for me to get another flight because the system online to rebook myself was broken and they weren't picking up the phones. And like, you know, you sent me numbers. I called... I called the US, which Japan. was doing the same thing. Japan and Hong Kong, which were both <laughs> closed because it was the weekend. And oh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. It, and they're, both, they're, they're only open Monday to Friday because that's a really good trick of being able to go through those. Yeah, guys. exactly. I always try that, right? <laughs> and 
so I actually ended up changing my flight the old-fashioned way, like not going through their reaccommodation process, but actually changing the date and time of my flight. And I paid nearly 400 pounds to do that. Ouch. Yeah, but at least I knew I was going to get out yeah. to Milan. Well, I was the well, last flight. Well, well you didn't I mean, know in that theory. <laughs> yeah. But then, so I paid 400 pounds, had the flight, got to, to Heathrow, and things were... I mean, it was blue skies over Heathrow, of course, by that point. And Terminal 5 was bustling, but not chaotic. There were a lot of people at the back of the departure halls. There's like the, the quite a lot of seats. There are a lot of people who mm-hmm. looked like they'd been there for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. There was no wait at the first uh, security, first wing security or anything like that. The lounge was busy, but I've seen it busier. But you could see like the departure board just in the BA lounge was every other flight was was red, was canceled. Oh, yeah. And they were still canceling flights. Like you could hear people, oh, great, the New York flight's just been canceled. But there was no announcement. It just popped up as canceled. <laughs> that must be Merry Christmas. Yeah. And <laughs> so I felt, I felt quite bad for people. And, yeah. and then I saw John Cleese, which made up for everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> John Cleese just walked past me in the first lounge and I got massive like, oh, my God, it's John Cleese. You know what was nice? And this is, this is, a, this is so wonderfully British. He sat in the back. No one bugged him. Yeah, sat I at know. a table writing out whatever he was writing out. Not a single person bugged him, and I thought that was lovely because how annoying was it be to be harassed? Yeah, you know that. that, right? Because since you're a star now, yes, it's happened <laughs> three times in my life, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. I guess up to a point, it's nice to be recognized and talked to, and yeah. you know, congratulate. And at some point, you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, when you've been you dealing love. with it for as long as John Cleese has, I'm sure it's annoying. And now but, for something completely different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just wanted to go up and start screaming Monty Python quotes in his face, but I was restrained. Um, but to to the earlier comment about everybody having priority, when we were boarding the flight, it was obviously very busy because everybody from the canceled flight was reaccommodated on the next flight, which is what, what this one was. And there was the standard normal boarding and then priority boarding. The priority boarding probably had – we were on an A321, 110 people in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is ridiculous because it was it was fifteen rows of club of Club Europe because obviously they can they can adjust it fifteen <laughs> rows which is the biggest I've ever seen. I told you that reminds me of when I was traveling to Mobile World Congress because suddenly yeah. everybody is in business class so everybody so they had like the half of the plane and I guess what happened is that all the, the people that were bumped from uh, canceled flights of course they prioritized uh, the executive and whatever and of course that led to having half of like what 15 rows you said of of uh, club europe which yeah always- it was crazy and but i have to give like the the people manning the desk were really efficient and they went down the priority boarding queue and said show me your boarding pass Nope, get out of the line. You're over there. You're over there. And they were not ruthless isn't the right word, but they they took all of the people who were in Club Europe or Gold Card and moved them into the to the cordoned off area ahead of time. Because then they announced that every single person in economy had to gate check their bag. Oh. If it wasn't gonna fit under the seat, you had to check it, no exceptions, which is the first time I've ever seen that. But it meant that we got away on time and there were there were not people spending hours trying to find an overhead bin to fit their their loads of luggage. So it was aggressive, but in a good way. I, I was really impressed. You could tell these people were veterans of, of what of what they were doing, um, and but the I, rest of it was fine. 
I, I think most of it has to do. Uh, it's it's a, it's ahead. You know, I think once you know, once you reach the BA customer line, once you actually talk to people, whether it's uh, at a desk at Ethrow or on Twitter, yeah, like we always try to do because these guys are very well trained. Yes, that works. The problem here was the absence of communication. Of course, it was chaos, probably, and we'll go to the reason why it's chaos with its snow because I think it's worth pointing it out. But I, the, the the one thing that I found. In, the, in your old ordeal because you have to live through it. I had to live through other ordeals in the past with other airlines and with BA as well is the absence of even like you have the app installed. They know your flight. Could they not send just a notification? It was very I'm- strange to me because I went on Flyer Talk and there was this like Snowpocalypse mega thread <laughs> that was really good. And, you know, there, there- that's the title of a movie, right? There. Yes. <laughs> Snowpocalypse mega thread. Mega thread. And people are great on Flyer Talk generally. There's, they're either whinging fools or they're really good about kind of we're all on the same team. We're all sharing in this same problem, sharing information. And a lot of people did get notifications. And oh, oh, I know okay. that notifications work on my app because you always get pinged when the gate opens or when boarding started and all that. So it just – I think that, that the system was overwhelmed and failed. Uh, it's possible. Okay. Okay. Because I was about to say that with other airlines, just lately when I flew United Airlines, and I'll talk to that after we finish this, uh, the one thing that was really potent was their – app is pretty well done and you can be notified of so many things you can even be notified of where your plane has been so not even your current flight but you can track back your flight your your incoming and even the incoming 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 so you can go like back in time and say i want like five days ahead i want to know where my my plane is of course then it can do a change of aircraft and you lose that which happened actually to me and or uh, when I had I told the story uh, a few episodes ago, when Emirates suddenly sent me this notification that my flight was delayed for two hours and ended up being four hours because of operational issues, with, you know th- that doesn't mean anything. But I got an email, I got a text, and I got an app notification. So there's no way that I would have not seen it. And now that you tell me about the overwhelming of the systems, yeah, and BA should probably just up their IT game. I mean, <laughs> but that's where, <laughs> but that's because that's that's the thing. If you know it's going to happen, you can make plans. You can try not to get to the airport, for instance, because not everybody is on Twitter. Because they were like on Twitter, like don't come to the airport. But yeah. come on, not not all the entire public is on Twitter. They mostly actually don't care. And even on Twitter, you don't really see it. You know, it's not the most efficient way of actually talking to the public. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, no, it's true. It's true. And I, I to, to BA's, not credit's not the right word, the snowfall was not forecast particularly well. But still, <laughs> we this happens at least once a year and yeah, it yeah, always yeah. ends the same way. I will say we had a few people because I had I made a tweet on the layovers account and uh, about that mostly a tongue in cheek tweet where whereas these days people get outraged of even talking cheeks so some people didn't like it but I don't care uh, you know I'm over forty and you, uh, when you're over forty I mean you you reach that and you're already there actually it's not by age but by mentality you start not giving an F right I'm like people can yeah. be outraged whatever uh, but there was Ashley Quint at Luxury Traveled on Twitter who said that it took him. Three Three hours to get through them by phone. So actually, he didn't get three that hours. But once he got through the them, he says they they couldn't have been more delightful despite the situation. And I think yes. this is where it's what we're saying here. After failing to have them communicate on 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 the phone and trying, you you DM them, right? I did. I I I couldn't get through, and I DM them and said, 
that explained the situation that I can't get through and the reaccommodation flow was broken on BA.com and can they fix it? And then I was like, you know, once I found out that I could just change the date and pay the 400 quid, I did. You needed to be I on needed that flight. I needed to get there. Every airline out of every London airport was sold out the next day. There was no way I was going to get there otherwise. And they replied quickly and said, when you get back, send us your information. We'll get you that refund. We'll refund every penny of that 400 pounds. And I did what they'd said to do. And then they called me straight away and they said, no problem. Uh, It'll go back to the bank, to the card that you charged it on within seven to 10 days. That their social media team, and I know I've said this, are so good. So good. Irrespective of industry, they're one of the best, if not the best social media teams I've ever come across. I know that uh, in June, they were uh, just so we were talking just after that big IT uh, issue. In June, yes. there had been reports of uh, BA looking to outsource their customer lines. I'm talking lines here because that's the, the caveat here. So, you know, there's these big companies in the UK, but elsewhere in the world as well, that just handle the outsourcing companies, BPOs, business processing centers, and they just, well, answer on behalf of. And sometimes that's, if they're well trained, it works. To be honest, but sometimes that's where it slacks. It slacks a bit. Is you, you're talking to someone and you're running circles. You're like, "Where am I doing here?" Yeah. And I don't know if they have done it because I was not. I was looking to find any confirmation of that because it's been a few months and I couldn't find anything. And no, this is a like, very thorough search. I googled it, guys. But uh, it looks like at least that, and we know that the Twitter team has been like you. You had said that in an episode. They had there were ex people that were doing bookings. And I don't think these guys, at least for the moment, have been outsourced because they're still very, very good at what they do. Uh, So that's, yeah, that's our recommendation for BA. I've I've dealt with uh, KLM on on social media. They're pretty good. I've dealt with Delta on social media. They're pretty good. Uh, that's pretty much it. The other airlines I've dealt on social media were nice, mm. kind, but they didn't always solve Couldn't the issue. do anything. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, yeah, Virgin or Atlantic are pretty good. Uh, EasyJet are terrible and never <laughs> never reply. But I was I'm just so impressed by the BA social media team that they'll they'll call you straight away and then if you don't answer they'll call you back. And they just get it done. And I, I admire and appreciate that. And to BA's credit, both of my flights were really great and the food is good and the people were friendly. You know, I think that's important to get on the record as well because I do moan about BA quite a lot. Yeah. So uh, Kendall, our friend Kendall at Kendall Flyers yes, uh, yeah. in Berlin uh, says, uh, this is not an Alex Cruz thing. BA's ether customer service has always been indifferent and apathetic. I don't know if that's true, but there you go. If you want to have someone answering your query, send them a DM because, hey, Kendall, yeah, you're I really on think that that's the best way to do it. And, uh, you know, that her comment mirrors the, the reaction that a lot of people seem to have had a- around this incident was, once I got through to somebody, they were delightful. Once I was on board, they were delightful. It was at T5 that people – and you know, those people have been on shift for 8 to 12 hours and have probably been getting a lot of abuse during that 8 to 12 hours. So you can see how they might lack their ordinary grace and patience that they would they would have. So, But it doesn't, it doesn't excuse it, but still. Yeah, it explains it. Yeah. Uh, so – 
BA, of course, could have done maybe some stuff better. Uh, BA has this thing where they try every time there's an issue, not only snow, they try to first, uh, you're screwed if you have a short haul flight, basically, because they will actually prioritize long haul flights uh, to get people to, you know, Hong Kong, et cetera, et cetera, and not people to Linate, <laughs> Milan, as you were going. Yeah. But that plan fell through because they had to cancel flights, even long haul. Interestingly, they not only, of course, canceled, but delayed. Uh, I'm no longer exactly, I'm no longer on the landing path of Heathrow, but some of the departing flights, I can sometimes hear them that night, uh, the night of Sunday to Monday, so before you you were uh, flying, uh, I could hear flights at the 3, 3.30 a.m. So they, really? had an ex- they had an exception, I think, by the authorities. And I went on a plane finder. There were the, the services to Dubai, uh, to Hong Kong and another long haul, uh, Cape Town. Uh, so they were re- literally leaving in the middle of the night because they had to get these planes out. And I guess yeah. they got an exception. Here. So I, I, was- I think that, I mean, they really had to, because how big of a kick in the teeth would it have been if you'd, if you'd said to a passenger who missed their connection and has been in the airport for 12 hours, weather's fine, planes de-iced, but we're not allowed to take off because it's, you know, it's gone midnight. So you so, mentioned you mentioned the de-icing, and you re-mentioned in there again. So de-icing took too long, and that's probably yeah. where Ethro, because other flights were canceled, not only BA, the other airlines were flying away from Ethro. Yeah. And people are always mocking Ethro, like, oh, there's almost no snow and whatever. Yeah, it's true. There's, we're not talking, first of all, of course, we're not talking Oslo, Copenhagen, or, you know, yeah. Montreal, or I mean, all these airports who are used to have snow. But that's the thing as well, you know, airports who are used to have snow have the equipment. Probably Heathrow lacks a bit of equipment, but that's not even the thing. Most uh, airports that deal with uh, snow usually de-ice the planes at a certain point before departure. So you are at the gate, you do push back, you go, you park somewhere and you're being de-iced. And usually there's even like loads of planes being de-iced next to each other. That's for instance, uh, Copenhagen again, or Stockholm, uh, Ireland. At Heathrow, they will de-ice you at the gates. So you're still there. So they have to move the equipment around and come and come and come. This has to do with real estate. Uh, there's probably not a point somewhere where they could do it. Although I've heard since that Heathrow is looking at finding such a spot because that's the knock-on effect. Since And that's the biggest problem. It's not snow. Of course, snow means that they have to remove the snow from the runway and cut the flights for a little bit, which creates some delay. But the problem is the airport is at capacity. So once you have a plane that is in front of a gate and is waiting, for instance, for the de-icing equipment to come and de-ice it, well, the gate is taken. So if a flight lands, the flight lands and then it waits, which happened. Actually, they were actually making a lot of these flights waiting on aprons waiting for a gate to be freed. And at some point, it created so much backlog, there was no more space to park the airplanes. So they had started to say, hey, guys, you know, you will be actually diverted to Manchester, to other airports, because there's no... So again, here the problem is, of course, snow and people can, you know, make jokes about the UK, about Heathrow and snow, but the major, major, major problem is not snow, it's capacity. If we had... More gates, meaning another terminal, Terminal T6. If we had even like more room for planes to be parked, yeah. and if you have like another uh, runway, this wouldn't happen. You know, even uh, Amsterdam had issues with the snow. I think it was a, a day later. They had a lot yeah. of delays, a lot, a lot of delays, but less so because they have capacity. They can play. They can they can have extra gates for planes that are landing late or planes that have been forced to stay on the ground until it's they are actually clear to depart. Heathrow cannot do that. As soon 
as soon as you have any type of problem at Heathrow, you end up in that situation. It's not the snow. So yeah, of course, they need to buy de-icing equipment. They probably need to think about their de-icing policy and putting them in a spot instead of a gate. But that won't solve the major, major issue, which is capacity. Yeah, and I saw one of the uh, air traffic controllers at Heathrow of which many of them were on Twitter, funnily enough, or interestingly enough, I suppose, was being understandably defensive about the less than accurate um, depiction. That's the perfect word, depiction of the situation. And, you know, you can sense his frustration that, you know, he he has and his colleagues have to get the planes in no matter what the situation is. What happens to the planes on the ground is not really that in their control. They have, mm-hmm. you know, they only have a limited footprint to work with and if that footprint has been cut in half because there's planes waiting as you say for gates then you know i can understand the frustration but it's again it's we write this off as a once in a you know every five years it happens but that's just not the case and it will continue to get worse and worse as they push heathrow to its capacity but of course again as i said at the beginning of this conversation gatwick no problems yeah exactly because gatwick has more capacity at this moment and if you also look at simply do a Google map, you know, Earth thing, guys, you will see that there's room at Gatwick to park planes on the side waiting for a gate to open. At Heathrow, you can see that the only room you could argue there will be is once they actually tear down Terminal 1, which is in the process of being partially destroyed. But there's no room. (laughs) There's just, where do you put the planes, right? Yeah. It's it's 98, 99% capacity is the airport in the world major that has as close as capacity. There's no other airports in the world. Even GFK, the very busy airports, are as close as capacity at Heathrow, which is why we, and I know we bore maybe some of our listeners who never come to the UK about Heathrow, but this is the example of lack of planning, probably, or lack yeah, of uh, political, uh, political, political will. 25 years ago. And, and right now, by the way, we had said a few episodes ago that, yeah, they were basically clear to do the third runway while well, they backtracked and they asked for more uh, studies, which means there's still no runway planned and we won't have it and we we don't know what's going to happen. And it's sad for London as a big major city. We have, and we repeated that over and over, we don't have a preference over one another. My own no. preference would that we say, hey, second runway in Gatwick and third runway at Heathrow both. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just, yeah. Or because I don't trust, and sadly so, we should build a high-speed train between the two because I wish that would be the case so you could actually very quickly go from one to the other. But when you see the time it took to actually simply create the high-speed uh, train lines in the UK or simply the Eurostar uh, lines from uh, Paris to, I mean, from the channel to London, it's a joke. So I'd rather have a runway that maybe hoping that one train will maybe one day be built by 2025. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> Alinate was nice. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice little airport. I'd been there before. It's going through, as almost every airport seems to be, uh, a lot of renovation. It's, have you been there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's last, kind of yeah. like this rabbit warreny. You, you know, you <laughs> tunnels to here and escalators to there, but it's yeah, it's 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 a fine little airport and not too much closer than than Malpensa to to central Milan. Yeah, because Malpensa is not even in Milan. No, it's like in yeah. another city, right? Yeah, <laughs> it is, and it's but it's I I like it. It's got a it's got a weirdly charming atmosphere to it for some reason. I don't know why, Lenate. Um, there's nothing special about it. No, at uh, all. It works. 
but it's uh yeah and you you there i think there's like two gates and everything else is is a remote stand which mm-hmm. i don't mind actually and i have to say be again did another great job of this if you're in the right part of the airplane they had a dedicated bus for club europe passengers so everybody got off at the club europe cabin they held everybody else on the airplane which was sensible because it was freezing outside and warm on the airplane so you had a dedicated bus to immigration, which took eight seconds, and then you're out into the, the thing. Taxis are easy to get. On my way back, weirdly, on my way back, there was maybe 40 people on the flight. Oh. It was empty. Oh, was it also a 321? No, three 319. Okay, but still, yeah, it's empty. Empty. It was empty. It was weird. But yeah, it's a fine functional airport. It's, it's, it's absolutely fine. So, United... Yes, <laughs> you've been you've been very um, reserved with the details that you've shared with me so far, and, and and been very non-committal about positive or negative. So I've been rubbing my hands together waiting to hear this. Look, one word: adequate. Uh, adequate. Now, honestly, look. Uh, first of all, you know, Kevin Amter. Obviously, I was in business class both ways. I'm, you know, a gold on Star Alliance or whatever. You know, yeah, gold actually. There's no colors like one wall. So, well, overall, first, both were nice flights. The experience was probably, and again, we are, we are lucky to be trying a lot of different airlines. We'd be lucky to also being paid by clients who go in business class in the the best airlines in the world, from Cathay to Singapore to Emirates to Qatar to. So obviously, our <laughs> view of what is a good flight is probably slightly biased sometimes. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> uh, United in business class both ways. How I, I experienced it is what I would have expected the great flights to be probably ten years ago. Meaning I cannot say one real negative thing about them. Uh, when I was flying to Asia with Air France, was kind of close. Probably Air France was slightly better. But there's no one single thing I can say, this was so bad or this didn't work. It's just that it's like you mentioned in the previous episode, you said middle of the road. It is a middle of the road experience, which... Probably for a lot of people who haven't experienced Cathay Pacific is a great experience. So this is where I put the caveat. That's why I call it adequate. Maybe for a lot of people will say, come on, you're in business class. (laughs) So, but anyway, a few things. I love going to the US. I love having US crews. There's this friendly, casual demeanor that I myself truly enjoy. You know, these kind of high guys and, you know, this thing that makes me happy. So just having that for me buys me. As soon as I entered the United flight, I was like, wow. The crew on the way to New York was very young, which was also very cool. Yeah, they do have a reputation, U.S. airlines in general, for having uh, older, to be polite, (laughs) cabin crew. So that that was interesting to hear. On both ways, it was flying a 767. Uh, Yeah, that that is is interesting. (laughs) We're used to living in London. We used to usually have, whenever there's a new product launched by an airline, they put it on London. We get it. Super early. We get the Q suite from Qatar. Everything gets usually done through London. High yield uh, route. People pay for first class, pay for business class. And you get a 767 with a business class product, which is a 212, because of the room they have in the 767, I said 212. So you have a middle row, which is alone. It's very awkward. It's very nice. It looks, you don't have a window, Alex, which you would, no virtual windows, obviously, which you would, you, which you would like, but you're on your own. Can you access either aisle? Yeah. 
that's quite cool. I, yeah. I did, and you don't think it feels too exposed? Yeah, so that's so when I was uh, booking my flight, I decided on that because I found a very good deal because you know that prices from London to the US are very expensive. Obscene, especially <laughs> if you don't stay for the Saturday night. Exactly, which I didn't. I was literally staying for three and a half days. I found a, a deal on Austrian, Austrian airline ticket on United Metal. It was a promo fare, so I didn't get like the full miles thing. But again, I wanted to try United, so I was happy. Um, so it's a it's a business class that I've seen the seats. I've seen them on older Qatar Airways planes, not a triple seven, probably the their Airbus three twenties or three thirties. I don't remember. So, both seats are angled, and one seat is slightly ahead of the other. So you oh, still have to go. Okay. So I had one A. Why did I have one A? Of course, you know, there's the thing, oh, I like to have one A. Like you had one A on Emirates when on you flew Emirates, away, yeah. because it's nice to say I had one A. But also <laughs> because I did a search on Flyer Talk and the airliners, I was looking at what is the best seat to fly on the 767 on United and you know, there's debates and I'm tall. I chose day flights because I knew that if I had to sleep, the seats would be slightly too cramped. And the bulkhead on 1A, because of the angle of the seat, which is angled towards the window, if you want, yeah, it's the one where there's a more room for your feet. If you are 2A, for instance, you have my butt in the way, basically. So you, your cubicle for your feet is much, much smaller. Well, of course, uh. on the bulkhead, you don't have that. 1B, because of the angle, has slightly less length. But yeah, you still have to, contrary to most of what happens in the airline industry, the trend, pass over your fellow passenger yeah. a, uh, i'm looking at the picture that you sent me of the of the seat and you can see the the angle and there you know you still have a lot of room to get past the person but it looks like your seat was next like you said it was a bit further forward and are you next to the bathroom or is that a is that a, a wardrobe <laughs> that's the thing 767s i already have maybe you flew them even remember on um on BA, they fly them a few. Yeah. Uh, the bathroom for the lavatories for business class are actually at the back. So, oh, so in, it wasn't. It was a wardrobe or It something. was a wardrobe. I know there's a bathroom in front, but I assume this is only for the crew, for the pilots. When you are in 1A, you actually have to walk all the way through, I think, 9 or 10, whatever is the limit before they go to premium economy or economy. I don't know if you have a premium or not, oh, which I is see. fine, by the way. But again, it's a very unusual plane to have of a long haul route. I wanted to try that single row in the middle. Some people said to you comment earlier that if you are in that middle row, sometimes you will get hit by the uh, the trolleys, which it might not be. But I didn't care. I was saying, you know what? It could be cool to have this kind of almost like a throne seat on your own. But because they're good, all these seats were taken way ahead. Yeah, but... I had a lot of availability to all the other seats, even one A, but not these ones. Yeah. The food was nice. A bit too stuffy, probably, but nice. The IFE... Same, you know, potent. I mean, there was like uh, in enough collection of movies and stuff to see. It was not that reactive, but good enough. I can, you know, something you would have seen eight, nine years ago. And I'm yeah. not saying that bad. Nothing I mean, that's going to turn you into a yeah. United Airlines loyalist. However, the app was really cool. As I said, I could track my incoming flights. I could track a lot of stuff, which was really nicely done. The one thing that is also nicely done is that you have, of course, you have Wi-Fi, which we're still not used in Europe. And you have streaming Wi-Fi. I like that. The catalog of movies was pretty big, much, much bigger than what was offered on the actual IFE off, you know, screen in front of you. Yeah. That's pretty I cool. I just think that, I mean, if you think... Like someone like an EasyJet, you could just rock it ahead of the competition by introducing something like that. 
and not necessarily connectivity Wi-Fi. Yeah. Because then you don't have to have the antenna on top of the airplane. It's just an internal storage unit and and internal Wi-Fi. What I really liked about the Wi-Fi, and again, maybe you guys who are listening to us from the US will say, ha, 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 I was so used to this and you guys are not. Yeah. But what I really liked about the Wi-Fi is that the the price was a human unit. Do you want one hour, two hours, or the full flight? It was not this nonsense about 50 megabytes. And that's it's good enough for email. You don't even know what it actually means, right? This that's is one hour, so two nice. hours, or full flight. Sensible pricing. Yeah. The strange thing, though, uh, is that on the way to New York, the one-hour and two-hour segments were more expensive than the one-hour and two-hour segments that I had on the way back. That's interesting. Yeah, I I don't, I, I, half the price on the way back was like... I think seven ninety nine was my one hour or something on the way in. It had been like twelve wow. or thirteen dollars. Wow. I'm like, huh? It actually makes sense to buy the full flight because, of course, as you know, the price actually goes down yeah, very yeah. quickly. Uh, it was fast enough. Not that I could have streamed anything, but it was good. Honestly, there's nothing bad I can say yeah, about yeah. it. Right? You see, you see, I'm not trying to be like. I want to be fair to United. I'm not going to say, oh, well, you know, I didn't have the service I have on Singapore Airlines. Yeah, clearly I didn't have it, but come on. I suppose if your expectations are low enough, then, you know, it's going to be refreshingly <laughs> mediocre when you go on it. But here's a no, it's here's more than a very... Me- come on, it's more than mediocre. It was, no, it was a I'm good being, flight. I'm being mean. I'm yeah. being mean. And and I haven't flown United in a long time, but the flight I did take, which is a transcon, was, was, it was fine. It didn't make me feel anything one way or t'other, and that's Same. fine. That's very but, true. The, the important question, and I fear I already know the answer to this, was did it have Channel 9, the air oh. traffic control uh, IFE channel? Yes. On the, what? Uh, on the way from New York to not on the, uh, the other way. But they had it at all as a miracle. I thought they'd pretty much phased it out. That's amazing. While I was waiting at Newark uh, at the gate, there are these uh, big screen overhead in front of the gate, and they were like putting a lot of information, you know, the, the seat map. Which is pretty cool. The, cool. the upgrades, the standbys, etc. You know, this mm. information that you only get in the US that I sometimes yeah. wish we'd had as well in Europe, which, by the way, were also on the apps. On the app, on the way back, I was able to know that I would have a fellow passenger 1B because that That's person so cool. had been upgraded and I could see him on the app as being an upgrade. He didn't have his full name, of course, for privacy reasons, but I saw that upgraded tick 1B. And one screen was telling, hey, if you want to listen to uh, the conversation between the pilots and the tower, just switch to channel nine. I mean, I don't even remember if it was actually channel nine. It was channel something. It was like, yeah. oh, wow. And that's the first thing I did when I arrived oh, in the plane. See, of I course. love that. And I was listening to conversations between the pilots and <laughs> the tower at Newark. That's pretty cool. That <laughs> is so – I love that so much. And they used to have it more often than not on United because I used to fly United a lot from – when we were building Virgin America to the various cities that we were going to fly to, I loved it. It's something interesting and comforting and, and wonderful, but I know fewer and fewer flights have it. So it's very uh, satisfying to hear that you had it on yours. A few quirks, you know, a few things that you see that they're not as well trained because you want them to be trained for safety, procedures for your, and, your yeah, procedures, yeah. for your comfort, maybe not for the maître d'hôtel, you know, for their like hotelier service. So for instance, they would... They clearly forget every single time to refill your drinks. You finish your nuts and whatever, and then they serve you your tray with all the food, and they don't 
you have to kind of ask, I would like to drink something with the food. So oh, little things, yeah. you know, little things like that where, you know, again, we've flown Alex, Cathay Pacific and Singapore and Emirates, where they are trained to be so good at that. And yeah, well, you know, I press the button, they come, they serve. And they were very, always very, very nice about it all the time. They were super cool. They, they, they give you chocolates when you enter the plane, you know, like a little... Do you want a drink? And I had like, I think it was actual champagne. It was not sparkling wine and chocolates. I didn't get the stuffy beer. I would have loved to have a little teddy bear that they're not giving to because they call every single of their business class, they call it Polaris. But it's yeah. very confusing because some of it is the actual new Polaris, which is they're introducing it, on, I think, on Transcon and some international routes, which is this basically what you have on current, you know, true Every seat has ale axis type of seat. But I think it's only on nine planes or something. So they just rebranded all thing Polaris and you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, well, that would frustrate the heck out of me as well. When, Especially, you know, when you're paying a lot of money and the difference in, you know, there's several generations yeah. available to you. Yeah. Usually you can tell by a seat map, but then, I mean... Again, it's it's really difficult to, to be able to tell, especially when, you know, it's not just, am I going to get the old or the new? It's all of these different generations. And I know that it takes time to introduce them, but that would frustrate the heck out of me. We'd like to create a relaxed atmosphere during our flight, especially for those who wish to rest. For our passengers seated next to a window and once there's nothing to see, kindly down the window shades. That was the announcement. And I was thinking about you as like, once there's nothing to see, because there's always something to there's see. Always something. Something to <laughs> I'm never going to put it down. <laughs> no, of course not. What a weird. I mean, I appreciate them them saying that, and that and that's fine. But there's always something <laughs> to like, see. I was so thinking about you. I'm never going to put it down. To the point that people are asking us, and your point on Dreamliners and the Emirates day flights, and they put it all in dark mode from both ways. It's it's a bit strange because you're leaving in the morning, you're having breakfast in like in a dark setting. Uh, and then you arrive and it's still day, obviously. And you're it, like, it goes back I... to the to the whole thing that we've talked about, like you know, what time zone are you in <laughs> when you're in the air? You know, and I know that a lot of airlines. Have, I think a lot of the day flights that I've taken, like going from Dubai to London during a day flight after the main meal service, everything becomes a little bit more subdued, not necessarily dark. So if you want to take mm -hmm. a, mm -hmm. a nap or something like that, which makes sense because the flight's like seven. Seven and a half hours that way, but I've never, I've never, I still don't get it. What time zone they're using to figure out what the time in the cabin is? Anyway, we landed uh, at uh, Newark. We landed slightly early. It's slightly early, fifty minutes early actually, because I have headwinds, oh, and wow. uh, there was no gates. So the pilot says, "We've got to go to the penalty box." The penalty <laughs> box. <laughs> exactly. I love that. <laughs> then you know, I know Newark might not be representative of all the airports, and we had an episode about it. I don't dislike Newark, but. I feel the same thing when I land at JFK and and I'm sorry, American friends, uh, but it, sometimes I have this feeling that it's kind of always kind of crappy. There's no very welcoming infrastructure. It's no. always like, I'm not only talking about the fact that you have to wait at immigration or not, but just even the simple of how it looks like. I'm not saying yeah. that you have to have gold and, you know, like in your face, but it looks a bit... Uh, San Francisco is good with that. You do feel very, at the international terminal anyway, very welcome. And there's all these murals of San Francisco and California and lots of welcome to in a bunch of different languages. They're, they're, they're quite good about that. But yes, I, I definitely know what you're, what you're, what you're saying. <laughs> By the way, you know how when you are in the front of the cabin, when you deplane, you get priority because you're either in first or business class? 
that doesn't exist in United. Everybody gets out whenever they want. So basically, I had one A because they had opened door number two, which was behind me. I was going, again, I don't care, but I'm just mentioning uh, it. Many other airlines would have blocked off yeah. people from economy until the actual first, and so, uh, there was no first, but business cabin would have been you know, empty. Right. That's a little frustrating. You know, you pay for the experience all the way through, not just until when it's wheels down. Which, by the way, reminds me that, you know, there's a lot of airlines put a curtain between, mm. you know, cabins. Yeah. So they had a curtain, but they also had a cord. <laughs> Literally, people from economy couldn't actually come to in the really? first. And I think, I believe it's because since the lavatories are literally just in front of the economy section, and because, you know, business people have to go back to these lavatories, oh. they want to make sure that they nobody actually goes. But still, you Come see true, a cord, yeah. it's very awkward to see a cord usually you know you know anyway uh, it's like the velvet rope <laughs> it was it was not velvety trust yeah. me <laughs> actually one of the lavatories was not working on the way there Oof, uh yeah it's okay uh newark you can see that they're doing a lot of work at newark uh because when i was uh checking back to go to uh back to london they are Upgrading it, clearly, uh, Terminal C. Uh, so they are making efforts. You can see that United, since they removed all the operation away from GFK and regrouped everything at Newark, they are uh, clearly upgrading the, the airport. So it's not bad, and it's getting much better. It's good. The old security situation was really good. It was fast. Good, because it was a nightmare. The TAC people were the kindest I've ever seen. Oh, great. And I was that's, great. that's good. I, I mean, was, maybe they're turning the corner. The one thing that was a bit curious, maybe it, it is the future of our airlines. I arrive at Newark uh, to check in. I had a, for once, because I had a lot of equipment with me, so I had to have check-in luggage. And I arrive at the premium, they call Premier, which is for business class, first class, and, you know, uh, frequent flyers, uh, card holders. Mm. These are only machines. This is, again, a good idea, I think. I think you said me that because, of course, guys, we're writing each other when we're flying. Hey, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> we are used to it. So for us, machines are not something difficult to manage. Yeah, I, you know the process. You know what to expect. And more often than not, you don't want to have a conversation with people necessarily. You may just want to crack on and, and get to get to the plane. So I, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, then the main lounge I was supposed to go is being refurbished. They're also renaming those like Polaris Lounge something. Yeah. So I went to another one. Do you have you seen the Netflix series A Stranger Things? Uh, not yet. No, everyone's talking about. Yeah, it. Yeah. So you know this series is like set in the the eighties. So if you look at the movie like The Goonies, or if you look at the old, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you know stepping at a United Lounge in New York is a bit like this experience. You're like, <laughs> oh, am no. I back in 1987 or something? <laughs> oh no, that's not good. <laughs> it's the total opposite experience of what you also experience, United Club Lounge at Heathrow, which is. Really nice. Really cool. Really nice. I really enjoy that lounge, which is probably where they're going once they will have refurbished all the other lounges. Which uh, takes yeah, forever. I'm sure they will. But that lounge, my mom was like, what is this? It's right. like literally the 80s. Uh, I don't think there's a crew rest area on a 767. Really? So that middle row I was talking about, yeah. the very last seat was curtained off. Yes. The crew rest area do not disturb. I've seen that a couple of times. I can't remember where, but yeah, that's... Well, if you don't have a crew rest area and you're doing a flight that's that's that long, then I suppose you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. But it was it was cool to see it. I mean, I never saw it inside. I know what it looks like. It's a seat in the middle, but you're like, oh, well, why not? Uh, I hate being an ass. I see... 
the one of the staff, the crew coming to me, behind her was a lady. The flight attendant was about to tell me something. The lady starts shouting, sir, can I take this seat? Uh, because I want to be sit next to my husband. I deserve that seat. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I see the eyes of the flight attendant, like, rolling and telling me, I cannot stand her. Oh, God. And I refused. If you had asked, I didn't say that, but in my head I was like, if you had asked nicely, I would have considered it. Although, you know, I really liked one A from my feet, but it was a day flight. I didn't have to sleep. I could have taken something else. But because you asked me that way, F off. And I said, no. Yeah, fair enough, man. <laughs> Sorry, but no. Fair enough. And by the way, when I said no, the flight attendant was smiling like, oh, you did great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's I, I'm with you. It, it, more often than not, if if I'm going to move from, a, from one seat to a comparable seat and it means that two people can sit together, fair enough. But if you're a jerk about it, then it's not going to happen. Or, you know, if... If they blocked a middle seat for me and my very pregnant wife and someone was like, you need to move so I can sit next to my, my – I'm like, I don't need to do yeah, anything. Exactly. And you just blew it, dude. Yeah, exactly. You wanna, if you want to have a conversation with my very pregnant wife and her very short temper, be my guest. <laughs> that- and I'll pick you up off the floor when it's done. <laughs> <laughs> also, that didn't matter – but it did. Both people had, and that's also why I could realize they were together. Both people had a Barcelona football club uh, jersey on. Uh, I'm a Real Madrid fan. So guys, I'm sorry, but yeah, I'm, that was um, never going <laughs> to happen in the first place. So anyway, <laughs> look, guys, mediocre is too harsh, adequate. The people were nice. They were like one or two staff that stood out, uh, one each way, super nice, you know, go the extra mile, serving me like mm. the extra drink. Ed, you want to finish a bottle of champagne? You know, like, oh, that's smell, nice. You know, exactly. it's, it's human, isn't it? That's the reason why you like a flight. And that's the reason why I cannot say I didn't like these two United flights. Will I fly them again, to be honest with you? Probably not. The price was good. I am on, on Star Alliance, so it makes sense for me to fly yeah. them because I gain miles. Now, probably, you know, BA would have been better. Probably the service is better. Virgin, I've never tried. I would love to try once. Norwegian yeah. is very competitive pricing wise. So it's hard to justify flying united but you know anyone here listening to this show especially our friends in san francisco who have to fly united if you have any other redeemable qualities that you want to share with us about united let us well, know i have one that you shared ah, with exactly. me very very generously <laughs> that was the last one i want to get <laughs> yeah guys you don't see it he's actually showing it to me on the camera because we see each other so go ahead tell tell, I'll you, tell my you thing. sent me uh, you know you were very kind and you you picked something up for me in new york that i needed and when you sent it to me in amongst the uh the packaging was one of the United amenity kits, and I and I keep my amenity kits anyway, but this one is particularly wonderful, and I was so happy to see it because it's the 747 commemorative amenity kit, which sounds kind of odd, but it's in this beautiful metal tin with the 747 logo across the top of it, and inside is like all this United branded 747 paraphernalia, along with all of the stuff that you would need in an amenity kit anyway, but... You know, I love the uh, the 747 playing card, trading cards. So they are, I think, a set of 15, so you get five. You got this, the 747 branded eye mask. Yeah, that's so which cool. Which is all I'm going to take now because <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. how cool is that? And the socks. The socks are also branded 747. And it, Yeah, so that was very kind of you, and I was so excited to uh, to receive that. But so, yeah, you're right. You're right. These are beautiful. Like, they're old 
the one that I got is the 747-100 series trading cards. So it's all of these. And you're right, there are 15. So there's Continental and United. Ah, it's just super cool. Yeah. Super cool. You don't need to have like fancy brands or whatever. Just give the step. And you know, I, I was looking at other passengers in the plane who might not be as much into plane as we are. People loved it. And the, the actual box the metal box is like a bit like oblong and you know oval or whatever it it looks yeah, yeah. nice as well you can have it like it you put nice. your pens in, on your i don't know or something like using it as a box it's yeah yeah so you have the dark blue one i have a dark blue yeah one, mine yeah. is a more light black navy like light blue one and there's i think there's two others there's a a silver but i think silver is only given to first class so you actually have to be in first uh, class see. and i think another color I don't, I'm not sure there's actually a female and a male version. I think it's, you know, everybody gets the same thing, probably. If you fly within the US, there's an, another set because oh, they're, really? not, they're not as big. They're square. They look like uh, these old fashioned cigarette boxes, like you see in the movies. Like, ah. with I think you also have the trading cards in them, and they're also multicolored, also in metal. They will run, and this is interesting. Uh, uh, Although the last flight of the 747 has already happened for United, these will still be given out to passengers until winter 2018. So you still have some time to get them. So go, 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 because they're beautiful. They're really, really. This is one of the best. So well done. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, of course, I wanted to give you one. Come on. No, it's very kind of you. (laughs) Uh, Well, how is the plane? So Alex asks me every time if I take an airline that is not flying, if I can find one of these miniature planes, you know, there's uh, that you see sometimes in offices or sometimes they're made for kids. Uh, I couldn't find any within the, there was no shopping in the flight, but there was a mileage plus shop at uh, Newark and I found you a little 747. It's beautiful. Yeah. My youngest son and I are fighting over it. And <laughs> I, should have bought, so, yeah. I should have bought two. No, no, it's great. It, they're beautiful. And thank you for that. It's nice to have 747 models are, are quite difficult to come by these days. Some redeemable qualities from United right there. Yeah. So uh, let's move on. I don't think you're traveling too much during the holidays yourself or are you? No, I'm done. I'm done in, for, until February because my third child is due any day now. Yeah, it's true. So I'm going to corner Alex to record yeah. a few shows <laughs> for once that he'll be here. An hour and a half here and there is easier yeah. than a couple of days <laughs> to be traveling. Because I just mentioned the uh, 1987 <laughs> work. there was a very interesting article on Skift, and I recommend you if you want to understand the business of lounges. It's very US-centric. Why do I say it's US-centric? Why do I mention 1987? Is that the intro of the article says... Lounges are rarely as luxurious as marketing material suggests, and even the nicest ones suffer from two basic problems. Passengers are rough on the furniture and greedy at the buffet and the bar. It's true, but whoever wrote this has clearly never been to a lounge by Cathay Pacific, Singapore Airline, Emirates, Qatar, etc., etc., or Jal even, or... 100%. (laughs) But yeah, it was a a strangely, uh, for Skift especially, unusually ill-informed. But... The article itself is an interview, uh, I think she's a she, I'm not sure now, I don't have the full article in front of me, uh, who's heading one of these, uh, you know, third party lounges that are developing lounges all around, especially the US, you know, the kind of lounges you access because you have a, a credit card. Or because uh, uh, an airline doesn't have its own lounge in an airport. Some stuff are pretty evident. Like she says, I'm going to assume she's a she, maybe I'm wrong, never mind. Uh, uh, She says that uh, some of the things they've learned over time is that to get more efficient, 
they're removing more and more of these table of four people because they're realizing that, you know, if there's already one or two people seated. Yeah, no one else is going to sit there. Exactly. So they do the more like these stands, like long tables for people to work on their laptops or uh, smaller tables where communal tables. So you can simply move yourself. That makes table. total sense. Exactly. The one thing that is interesting, and I've never seen it yet, is because they have in some of their lounges too much uh, people coming in, they started a, a hostess program, which I find very clever because you have uh, staff that will guide you to find a seat that removes the barrier of you having to ask someone else, can you remove yeah, your feet off that? someone else does it for you. Yeah, you know, arrange the thing so that it's optimized, sensible. They charge your line per guest. I didn't know that. Oh, so that's why they always scan. I that makes total sense now. I thought it was like a uh, like a you know global deal for twelve months or whatever or per month will pay. Yeah. yeah, but no, it's per guest, and they charge back every single guest that gets in. Sometimes there's a ref share a revenue sharing program with the airport, I but that's see. why it's interesting. We should have someone like that in the show once because I'm, yeah, that's fascinating. Learn a lot of stuff, and I I do. T- I have a uh, the heck is it called. Priority pass, which I use because, you know, when you're flying on uh, basically someone that in the EasyJet or someone like that, a Southwest Airlines, you don't get obviously lounge access. And so having that in your back pocket, I, it pays for itself every year. And it's because yeah. it's just like, like you say, it's a refuge uh, where it's a little bit more quiet and you can and usually have ver- very good views and you can just. You can just relax. Absolutely. Uh, actually, for me, it's, uh, I got it part of uh, Amex. So Amex, some uh, of your yes. Amex get you uh, the priority pass, which also is interesting because Amex now is opening its own lounges, Centurion. They're playing both ways. <laughs> they are. Apparently, their their Centurion lounges are all really, really good. Yeah, I haven't tried. I mentioned, I think, or did I leave that on the cutting floor? Maybe I, I did leave that on the cutting floor. There's a new Centurion lounge at uh, Hong Kong Airport, which looks super, super nice. Uh, next time... I want to try this. It looks mm. really, really nice. Uh, one last point about food in lounges. She mentions that we were asked to have pizza by a European airline. You'd think they would want a certain wine or high-hand cuisine, yet they wanted pizza. And she mentioned that it's a fairly premium European airline. I don't know which one it is. I want to know which airline offers pizza in its lounges. Pizza, guys, yeah. guys, guys, guys. Qantas... In either Brisbane or Perth offers pizza, but if there's one in Europe, I need to fly it. Yes. Whoever has seen pizza in a lounge, please, please let us know. I want to see. I want to know where that is too. <laughs> That's the hunt for 2018. We've got to find a pizza in a lounge. <laughs> the pizza lounge. <laughs> okay. Uh, something that made us both uh, smile. Uh, so-called smart luggages are having some regulatory issues? Yes, it seems like there's been a lot more scrutiny by the uh, US regulators on the batteries specifically. And we talked about this saying (laughs) this was only a matter of time before someone said, you know, this doesn't seem like a good idea. And if you recall, I think maybe 20 episodes ago, I had tweeted to one of the manufacturers and saying, tell me about your batteries. And they said that they were either IATA or ICAO compliant batteries but it, it seems that when they're running a series it's just even more dangerous and just there's a lot more scrutiny to the point where it would not be surprising if there was a blanket ban on all of them very soon before while they look at this in more detail because it just takes one it takes one badly made knockoff or badly made battery to line up in the in the hold of an airplane and a terrible terrible thing will happen related i don't know about you but the past month and a half 
I was specifically asked, do I have lithium batteries in my hold? Because I, I, I do not usually check hold luggage. So maybe that's also say one month and a half. Maybe it's happening for a longer time. They keep asking me that question many times. United, they kept asking me like three times a question about, you know, whether or not, you know, I had lithium batteries. And the yeah. specific law we just mentioned today is actually that if you have a power pack, so basically a battery in your uh, carry-on, in your luggage, it has to be removable. But the gates only to say all the bags go in the hold. You need to be able to take mm-hmm. out the battery, yeah. keep it with you. If it doesn't, you're screwed. Blue Smart, of course, calls that absolute travesty and a huge step back. Sorry, Blue Smart CEO, no, I disagree with you. Not. Yeah, their response is just infuriating. What they should say is, we'll, we'll work with the regulators to figure out how we solve this problem together, as opposed to, we're being oppressed. Did anybody ever get in touch with us to say they had one? Does anybody in the world own a piece of smart luggage? I don't think there so. There was a friend of mine, uh, Kei Shimada, living in Tokyo, was flying like crazily, way more than you and me, Alex. And he had for a short time one. And I asked him, can you, you know, after like a few months of trying it, can you actually tell us more about it? Last time I saw him, he didn't have it anymore. So I don't know, maybe it didn't work for him. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Other news still in the U.S. Uh, again, can I send us the news? Baggage fees will not have to be disclosed when you start your booking process. Yeah, that was a Trump uh, administration reversal of an Obama. I mean, yeah, unprecedented, of course. <laughs> but yeah, they, they no longer have to disclose not just baggage fees, but any of the other um, optional services, ancillary fees that are. So it just seems like it's a... A, a little bit of a smack in the face to to consumers that that's happened, but yeah. nothing is surprising in 2017 anymore. So the rule was that when you start the booking process, when the advertiser price, all these little things that are hidden should be upfront, uh, instead of having to go through all the things at the very end, learning that oh, actually you have all these fees, and we're not talking about fuel fees, we're really talking about no, baggage, or baggage, seat selection, par- priority yeah, boarding, yeah. all this stuff. So. You know, how do I make a transition between Trump and Russia? <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to do that one. Okay. Well, uh, Robert Mueller, I'll tell you. <laughs> St. Petersburg. Come on. How was St. Petersburg? Yeah, it's good. It's an interesting airport. Uh, and, you know, you'd briefed me on this, that the immigration process is different. And, and it certainly was. You you come off the airplane and you, you go into this sort of standing interview room there it's almost like a like a little capsule that you step into and they look very hard at your passport and you and your passport and you and make sure your visa is in order and there's a mirror behind you as well have you ever noticed that (laughs) they can see your back i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure why but you go into this sort of processing thing you can't see the person when they go in and there's like a green light red light system saying when you should and should not go into this booth uh, and then you're out. But of course, being a Russian airport, when you land, all around you are these wonderful Soviet and Russian airliners from all of these airlines that you've never heard of, which is really, really cool to be able to see that. I think I sent you some pictures taken in the safety of the airplane, not in the airport. I don't think you'd want to get caught taking a photo in a Russian airport. <laughs> no. But it's the terminal that we were in was very new and, and airy and spacious and beautifully uh, designed and built. 
And of course, it's it's like a lot of airports around the world where you have a preliminary security when you're coming in that everybody's bags go into even if they're not traveling and then a secondary security after immigration. You do outbound immigration as well. So it's it's one of those airports where you really do have to leave a reasonable amount of time to get to, to your flight because there's a lot of I had the same experience hurdles. in Moscow. There were multiple screenings. So you have to be early to make sure that you do not stuck in a queue somewhere yeah yeah and it's you know it's understandable russia's had terrorism problems and especially st petersburg had the metro bombing not not too long ago so it's it's worth leaving enough time but it's you know it's a it's a the new terminal is only three years old oh, and wow. there's free wi-fi and there's lounges and it's it's big enough and 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 staffed enough where you're not waiting or it doesn't take a long time because you're waiting in queues. It's just there are more steps than than perhaps some of us are used to. But I, I liked it. It's not too far from the airport. Oh, pardon me, from the center of town. And How do you get there? Is, you, there? is there a train? or? Yeah, there are, but not directly from the airport. So there's a there's a bus. Okay. And we're, uh, three bus services is the city bus, a night bus, and a mini bus. And they're all number 39. So the only number you have to remember is 39. <laughs> and you'll get there. And that will actually take you to um, one of the big metro stations. Uber is all over St. Petersburg, and nice. it's cheap. And then taxis as well, so very, very easy to get in and out of in and out of town. But it's yeah, it's it's a nice airport. I, I've never been to any other Russian city, so I I really can't compare it to anything. But it was a very functional and I would dare I say attractive airport. Have you seen any cool planes at the tarmacs and Milushins and stuff like that? Yes, loads of loads of those. And there's always a sort of quasi-state run air, airlines and airplanes mm. that are there as well, all lined up on the uh on the on the tarmac. So yeah, I saw I tell you what I did see was the new it looks like a Dornier 328 jet. So it's the high wing uh-huh. two engine. I think I sent, I sent you a picture of it. It's super cool. Oh, yeah, looking. yeah, yeah, yeah. You sent me the picture. So it's, the, it's the high wing one with the T tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, don't, I think it's a, I can't remember even who makes it. My, I don't know anything about Russian airplanes, but super cool looking airline. Wow. Uh, airplane. Um, and the, I think the government owns the, the airline and the airplane. But yeah, really, really cool. And then some of the ones where you have to like look at it really carefully and go, is that a is that an A330 or is that the new Illusion? <laughs> uh, yeah, really, really, really cool airport, really cool city. You know, the one thing I, that did give me a strange feeling is when you come out of immigration into the arrivals hall, it felt like you were in a, on a movie set. Why? Because there was so much open space for the extras, if you will, to mingle around and make it look like there was activity that it just seemed like purposefully – like, well, this won't be on camera, so we don't need to put anything there. It wasn't like <laughs> open to be open and airy. It just felt like, you know, planned openness. You expect all these Russian brands, but there, nope, there's a McDonald's, there's a Starbucks, there's a TGI Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a perfectly serviceable, decent airport, lots of taxis. When you step outside, the front bit between the taxi rank and the airport feels a little tired, but... Uh, yeah, I liked it. I was impressed. St. Petersburg is a very interesting city. It's this strange blend of Western European and obviously, you know, Imperial Russian because it was the seat of 
uh, of Imperial Russia for the long, longest time. But also, the its its geographical location is very Western, if you want, for Russia. Yeah, right? I mean, it's, you can get to Helsinki in three hours on the train. Yeah, so you can visit Santa Claus. I mean, I'm sure I'm yeah. sure that our, our Russian friends will tell us that Santa Claus does actually live in Russia, like our Swedish friends tell us that Santa Claus lives in Sweden, and our Norwegian friends tell us that Santa Claus lives in Norwegian. Because my mother was from Finland, I will state to the fact that he lives in Rovaniemi, which is in the north of Finland. <laughs> <laughs> would it be a good airport for layovers? I'm not sure with all the scrutiny you would have to if you were to stay there. <laughs> I I don't know. I I would yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, the lounges were 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 big and comfortable, so I don't think there was any 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 problem there. Did yeah. you experience any lounge? Actually, yeah, I did. The B, their BA lounge there is is okay. is fine. Okay. Okay. Uh, Greg is going to Japan via Moscow. Oh. So he'll be he's doing a layover in in Moscow. I don't know which airport though. Uh, Tomerevo probably DME. Yeah, I would have thought so. Uh, I, the great minds think alike. I was about to say, guys, uh, th- I'm thinking about Anton Adelus on Twitter, but others. Uh, I've seen many, many routes going through Russia as is in layover to go to Asia, and I always wanted to try one just for the sake of trying one. Please, Greg. Of course, when you do it, maybe we'll simply invite him to tell us about it. But anyone else, and maybe Russians, let us know. Is it a good idea to actually do a layover for a few hours in Russia? I mean, not going out of the airport, but even is it possible to have like a cool experience being in the airport? I, I don't think know. I, I, I'd be interested to know because you don't obviously have to get a visa no, or do anything exactly. like that. So I would think I would think yes. I would think yes. I mean, the interesting thing about St. Petersburg is that there is not a single connection to any American city by any airline. You cannot get to St. Petersburg from America. Okay, so only you were direct flight, right? It was not from we Moscow. Were from London. Yeah. We were coming from London, yeah. But you, you, so if you wanted to experience a layover in a Russian airport from America, you'd have to do Moscow. it by Moscow. But even then, there aren't, you know, New York, DC, and maybe a few, maybe Chicago as well. But it, it really does show, like. It, St. Petersburg is a lovely city and it's it's incredibly well served by every other area. Not the US. And I know a lot of Americans that go there on cruises, but not not you can't fly there. It seems silly. It seems short short sighted on everybody's part. It's one of the cities that is really at the very, very top of my list as to visit. Um, unbeknownst to some of our listeners, I'm a photographer. I love taking photos in cities. I'm a city guy. Mm. And this is one of my dreams, seeing, you know, the the canals and, uh, and the architecture. It looks, yeah. wow. And so if people are more interested about it, of course, you can simply look at your episode on Attaché, on the YouTube channel of Attaché. It's a very cool episode. You Thank you, you get drunk in it, obviously, because there's vodka <laughs> involved every time we talk about Russia. <laughs> yeah. It would have been weird not to have vodka. We went to the Vodka Museum there, which was a, which was a fantastic experience. Very interesting place. Look, we have to trade places for next year because uh, I went to Moscow for the first time last year and I absolutely adored it. You went to St. Petersburg recently, so next year you do Moscow, I'll do St. Pete's deal. Exactly. <laughs> Have you seen the, the Christmas tree that Airbus did over I Germany? I did with a, with a brand new Emirates A380 that was on a pre-delivery flight. And they, they did this wonderful uh, Christmas tree complete with uh, decorations. Yeah. So they, they, they took off from Hamburg and landed at Hamburg. I guess they did it because Germany is the largest country they could do it in Europe. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. But at the very and I guess of the flight, they're going up to Denmark, at the very top of Denmark and going down. So is it a spear? So is it like, you know, the top of the 
tree or because maybe I'm stupid, I'm seeing it. You know, these trees that you put on your car rear view mirror with this. Yeah, yeah. For me, that's the. <laughs> it's not a Christmas tree, it's an air freshener. Yeah, exactly. That's how it looks to me. So, guys, uh, Merry Christmas and uh, safe travels. Safe travels, guys. Okay. <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, look, this spear is super high. <laughs> anyway, I didn't mean that's to- amazing. <laughs>